What if, with the right mindset, anything is possible? Join us now and find out how. It's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka is here to inspire you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the Million Dollar Mindset. Today, Marla is here to inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power with the Million Dollar Mindset. Today, she'll share heartwarming stories, teach you tips and tricks to building a successful business, plus how to unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset. And now, here's your host, Marla Tabaka. Welcome to Million Dollar Mindset Radio. This is Marla Tabaka, and I am so happy to be on the air here again. I have uh, taken the summer off, and uh, I've been—it's been very, very exciting. I've been hosting, uh, co-hosting, actually, a uh, broadband show. Uh, and we're in, gosh, 38 markets. We're just growing and growing and growing. And it's called the Big Pitch Radio Show. And, and my wonderful co-hosts are uh, Jason Gary, a serial entrepreneur. The guy's like had crazy numbers of successful businesses as uh, well as Kevin Harrington. And you may know him, you small business owners out there may know him as one of the original sharks on a shark tank. And he was the uh, creator of As Seen on TV. And it's really been fun over there on Big Pitch. We're taking pitches from small business owners who are past that family and friends round and, and looking for funding and uh, really talking to them and helping them out and decide what next steps are going to be. So make sure to check us out at BigPitchRadio.com. And I'm so happy to be back here with you two on Million Dollar Mindset Radio. You know, when we think about how many people suffer from stress overload, it's just crazy. And the numbers are growing and growing. And you've heard me say it time and time again here on Million Dollar Mindset Radio that high levels of stress can lead to various stages of burnout and failure and business and important personal goals and eventually even illness. Stress contributes to illness. It's so important that we begin to uh, accept this and address it as a society. And I'll tell you what, as a consultant to small business owners, I can tell you it's a real job to teach people um, who feel like they have too much to do and no time to do it in to slow their minds down and go through the day with intention and focus. It just feels impossible when you're overwhelmed. And today's guest uh, is... She says that constant multitasking and and being overburdened with responsibilities and jam-packed schedules keep us too busy to stop and ask ourselves what she says is a really important question, and that is, what can we do to break the cycle of information overload, nonstop distractions, and high pressure always on schedules? Jacqueline Carter is here with us, and she is the co-author of One Second Ahead, Enhance Your Performance at Work with Mindfulness. And she says that all it takes to train the brain to respond differently to today's constant pressures and distractions is 
one second. So today we're here with Jacqueline and and we're going to learn how you can put an end to ineffective multitasking. And if you've listened to me before, you know, that's like one of my um, pet topics and uh, unproductive meetings and poor communication and other really unhealthy workplace behaviors. And Jacqueline has over 20 years of consulting and management experience in helping organizations manage change and achieve results. And she's really passionate about helping individuals individuals and organizations realize their potential through, and I love this, this is so exciting, the training of the mind. She's a partner of the Potential Project International and director of the Potential Project North America. And her clients include Google and Sony and American Express, Royal Bank of Canada and Suncor, just to name a few. That's really, really impressive. And Jacqueline has co-authored authored the recently published book, One Second Ahead, Enhance Your Performance at Work with Mindfulness, as I said. And Jacqueline, welcome to Million Dollar Mindset. Thank you so much, Marla. It's great to be here. It's wonderful to have you here, and I think we're just going to have so much fun. And And I'd love to hear more about, I mean, congratulations. I mean, you, you just published this book, is that right? We did, yes. November 3rd was our release date, and uh, it's just been so exciting to see the response. It's just been wonderful. I love that. I love that. You t- you have two amazing co-authors. The three of you are a force to be reckoned with, I would imagine. And, and, and here's what I really love is, uh, like you, I've been in this industry while I've been uh, – consulting small businesses and teaching mindfulness for about 15 or 16 years. And I have to tell you, the word, the very word mindfulness is something that um, in in my world, at least, was something that we didn't really use uh, a number of years ago. And we just found other ways to talk about spirituality and mindfulness and meditations and things like this. And uh, do you find that true for yourself as well? Well, absolutely. I could tell you a little bit about my story. So I was with Deloitte Consulting for many years in the U.S., in Canada, and also in Australia, and uh, also a long-term mindfulness practitioner. And probably very similar to you, I would never tell anybody in my workplace that I sat still for any period of time, and certainly not sat still and done anything like counting my breath, because there's so much about today's work environments that just the idea exactly as you said, slowing down just seems opposite to what everybody wants to do in the workplace. And and yet what we know is actually slowing down to be able to be more mindful, to of course overuse that word, um, but to be more mindful to make sure that we're not just doing lots of things, that we're actually doing the right things that are going to get the results that we want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's it's been a refreshing. I mean, for me, I would say three, four years now. I write um, for Ink Magazine online, and and uh, I think I was probably the first author on the site to actually use the word mindfulness. And I've noticed lately that you know these kinds of practices are kind of coming out of the um, the closet, if you will. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> so I'm thrilled to see books like yours yours coming out. And uh, I noticed on your site, which looks like a really really fascinating in Denver. In Endeavor, the Potential Project, um, 
you say that research shows that 40% of the time we're mentally off task. That's crazy. 47. Yeah, well, it's actually, it's, it's actually 47%, just so you know, it's a little bit higher. Now, that's just Isn't average. That, okay. I thought that's uh, what but, I said. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it's, but it's true. And, and I think one of the cool things about, about understanding that is it's actually, I mean, our minds, it's one of the things that researchers have been looking at is our minds have a natural tendency to wander. And I always like to tell my clients because it makes them feel a little bit better is it's not that, you know, if you, if you find yourself daydreaming in a meeting, you're not a bad person. That's actually the natural tendency of the mind to wander away from whatever it is you're doing now. And uh, one of the stories I tell, if you think about our ancestors, you know, the guy or the gal that could sit and focus on the fire, they got eaten. You know, they're not our ancestors, right? <laughs> our ancestors had attention deficit traits. They, they were the ones, oh, there's a rustle in the bushes. I think there might be a tiger. Or, you know, we got to move, folks. And that evolution, that was actually an evolutionary advantage. But it's now in our, as you are already articulated, in our environments, which are so full of pressure and information and distractions, that wandering mind is, you know, it was an evolutionary advantage that's now actually costing us in terms of the impact that it has on our stress, on our well-being, and on our performance at work. Mm-hmm. It really is. And uh, so you talk in, in about mindfulness and, and uh, why it's vital for team success in a corporate environment. How do you, how do you uh, articulate that when, when you're first speaking to a group? Yeah, well, the first thing, and this is actually related to what you were saying about how mindfulness, although it has become increasingly popular, I was very much in the closet about my mindfulness practice, as I said, for many years. But still, there's a lot of organizations that we work with where mindfulness is associated with something that sounds flaky or woo-woo. So one of the things that we'll do is if that word gets in the way, we won't use it. So instead, what we'll actually talk about, well, the first thing when we talk to organizations is we we want to understand their business objectives. We want to understand what's important to them. And then what we look at is we ask them, after finding out more about what's important to them, we ask them questions. Well, how would, if your employees were able to be more focused, more calm, more clear-minded, how would that help you in terms of your business? Mm -hmm. And then we specifically look at when we, you know, develop our programs and bring in mindfulness training, and sometimes we'll call it, you know, training the mind to enhance performance or whatever, you know, whatever will work well within the organization. But it's always directed to specific outcomes that have meaning for the business. So an example, you know, we worked with a very large global consulting firm, and for them it really was about helping people to be more you know, performance more efficient, more effective, and also serve their clients better. Or with a, an ad agency that we worked with on a global basis, they were really looking for creativity. But even we also work in, in heavy industries where their focus is they've realized that there's a direct relation between how well people are paying attention and how safe the environment is. So their focus is they actually don't call it mindfulness, they call it situational awareness training. Basically, it's the same thing, but it's recognizing that if you are training your brain to be more attentive, you're going to create a safer environment, prevent the next environmental disaster, and keep everybody safer to go home at night. Mm-hmm. Well, that certainly does sound so much more scientific, which is probably much more globally accepted at this point. So. Exactly, exactly. Yes, that's right. That's fantastic. And I really enjoyed how you put that um, in terms of if your clients were, you know, that's great. That's yep. great. That's very good. So, so you have a couple of co-authors, and uh, what brought you together to write this particular book? 
Yeah, well, we actually, uh, so the three of us, uh, so, so Rasmus is actually, he's the founder of The Potential Project, and it was founded actually over 10 years ago. I joined over five years ago. I was actually based in uh, Singapore at the time when I joined, and I helped develop our operations in, in Asia, and, uh, and Jillian is a partner in our Australian offices. And so the three of us, uh, we have a global team. We have over 150 facilitators that we work with around the globe, and you mentioned a number of our clients. We're now in 22 countries. But really, I mean, we, we, I mean we, we really didn't set out to write a book. We actually, we love our work. We love our work uh, with clients and actually really having an impact and making a difference in, in people's day-to-day lives. Uh, but so many of our clients actually said to us, you guys got to, you guys got to put all this stuff in a book. Please write a book. <laughs> so it was actually motivated by our clients. And uh, what's been amazing is, uh, is certainly the response that we've got from, of course, beyond our circle of clients and, uh, and just the, to the general public. And, and we've really written it, even though we very much focus on organizations. But uh, of course, you know, the benefits of being having a more focused, more calm, more clear mind, it's, it's great for anybody in any organization. So we've really written it to have a very broad appeal and broad scope. What better way to to uh, launch a book project than to have people come to you clamoring <laughs> for, for you to actually put all the information in one place? We're going to go into break, and when we come back, I'd love to hear more about uh, your work with, with corporations and with individuals and, and uh, that one-minute secret. Unlocking the secrets in you to create a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marlon Tabaka. And we'll be right back after these. Information about book publishing is power. The power to change your authoring life and the power to change the lives of your readers. So join us for Your Guide to Book Publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific. You'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now. As the book shepherd, Dr. Judith Bryles is in. And each week, she will include publishing professionals that will reveal tips and secrets to the author's journey. If there is a book in you, you want to listen, learn, And yes, call in with your questions each week. For more on Judith and what she can do for you, check out her website, thebookshepherd.com. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. There are many positive things about growing older. Having more wisdom and a more relaxed attitude are just a few of the benefits. But one downside of aging is a decline in lean muscle mass. All of us lose valuable muscle as we grow older, which leaves some of us weaker and more prone to injury. The solution is weightlifting. Livestrong states that for people over 50 years of age, weight training can be a great way to build muscle mass, boost strength, and improve certain medical problems. According to the American College of Sports Medicine, adults under 65 should lift weights two days per week, while those over 65 should weight train two to three days per week. Weightlifting builds muscles and bone and keeps you strong. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond, keeping you healthy, 
happy and fit. Welcome back to the Million Dollar Mindset. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it all starts with attitude, and Marla is here to help. It's the Million Dollar Mindset on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Marla Tabaka. And we're here with Jacqueline Carter, co-author of One Second Ahead, Enhance Your Performance at Work with Mindfulness. Jacqueline, it's just been so fun talking with you here, and uh, I'm eager to learn more about your training principles and um, and, and how you go in and actually uh, help people not only manage change, but create change. I think uh, I said earlier, you just like before your time, girl, because you've been doing this for 20 years. And uh, that's a long time to help people see that uh, not only is, is change necessary, but we can manage it in a very healthy and productive manner and, uh, and stop the stress. So um, that's incredible to me. <laughs> Thanks for being there. <laughs> Very welcome, and I'm very, very, very passionate about it. As you said, I mean, I, I've, I've just always been fascinated. You know, my, my background is in organizational development and supporting organizations manage change, and it was actually one of the, the other aspects of my journey. As I said, I was in corporate consulting for many years, and just watching people try to manage change basically in terms of from an external perspective, you know, oh, they just need a better communication plan or they just need this training. And what for the, the missing piece for a lot of organizational change initiatives is recognizing fundamental aspects of the way the brain works. And one of the key things that we know about the mind is we resist change. I mean, that's just one of the most natural things that we do. In fact, resisting our own resistance to change is unnatural because it basically represents, from a subconscious perspective, change represents a threat. And so if we can really understand, and again, through training the mind, we can actually be much more aware of our own resistance. And without trying to deny that we have resistance, because it's natural, so instead of trying to deny it, but allow ourselves to be able to sit with it and then to be able to observe it and not let us, it overtake us. Because what can happen uh, with resistance, because it's coming from a subconscious and a fear-based response, is we can actually very easily go into fight-or-flight mode. And uh, one of the things, again, from a scientific perspective, what we know is that actually activates part of the brain that is not the... Um, the neocortex thinking part of our brain, but actually part of our brain, which they call the reptilian part of our brain. So if you see in your office when you go through change, people acting like reptiles, they basically are because that's what's happening to them in the brain. Mm -hmm. So really using what we know from a scientific perspective, but also what we know from from many years of of the mindfulness training tradition to be able to help us manage change because, as you said, change is constant, but we can do better in terms of how we manage it. Mm-hmm. That amygdala, and uh, it is. It just we just start downloading all sorts of chemicals that uh, actually, you know, can can change our future behavior as well. Because boy, our body and and subconscious minds just have such a memory for those events, and it uh, it can come up at the times when you when you very least expect it. So. Uh, it is, it's important to realize that. And I think that, you know, one of the healthy things, you know, as I, I said at uh, the top of the show when we were chatting at break, that it's been sort of a roller coaster summer for, for me, learning so much and growing so much and changing so much and getting involved in so many things that were really foreign to me. And, and uh, I reminded myself and, uh, of the power of really, anal- re- really not analyzing, but being aware of your own strategy for buy in when things change change. Yeah. 
And uh, so talk to us a little bit about the importance of that and how people can identify that and why it helps. Well, I think the first thing is to, and that's one of the key things with, with why, again, it's so important, at least I believe it's so important to be able to, to have a mindfulness practice itself. And essentially one of the key things that you can look at in terms of mindfulness, it's a, a little, and especially, you know, daily training, but it's that moment every day where you just really check in with what is going on right now in your mind. Is your mind calm? Is it clear? Is it still? Or is it a little bit chaotic? And certainly in terms of if I want to make sure that I'm, you know, performing at my best or even just kind to my family, having a really good sense of how cluttered my mind is or how clear it is is a really important starting point for me to be able to understand how I'm managing with those changes that are going on in my life. And I think one of the interesting things, and again, that getting back to that idea of just, you know, taking 10 minutes and not only that, training yourself so if my mind is very cluttered, can I be a little bit more focused? And that's really the idea of going to the mental gym, which we talk a lot about in the book, is training yourself to be more focused, uh, to relax, to, re- you know, reduce some of the, the anxiety or tension that you might be experiencing, and then get a little bit more clarity. So for me, myself, and it's, it's, you know, it's really interesting, you talk about your summer and, of course, a lot of very positive changes, but nevertheless, um, you know, a lot of change, it does clutter the mind. And so for me, one of the key things is really t- making sure, even though they're positive things, um, you know, a lot of excitement, a lot of activity, is really making sure that the busier I get, the more time I take to settle the mind, have a little bit more clarity, because I want to make sure, again, that I don't just react on impulse and I want to make sure that I'm always being very responsive about how I choose to respond to those stimuli that are coming into my field of awareness. Yeah, yeah. And for me, recognizing, uh, okay, Marla, you know, this happened just a few weeks ago, and it took you three days to turn this around, you know, and and really pay attention to that. Say, okay, yes, you can have a reaction. That's okay. That's okay. Have a reaction. Yeah, Yeah, but exactly. Exactly. It's it's really, and it really is, and and really noticing, you know, what it is that you react to and and, and just asking yourself, you know, watching those patterns and, and really just giving yourself without, you know, of course, without, yeah, without beating yourself up for it, but, you know, and, and it's just, it, are those helpful patterns to you, you know? So, you know, a really simple example would be if you notice that you tend to get impatient um, with your colleagues or could be with your, with your kids. I have three boys, and I thought I was a very patient person until I had three <laughs> boys under three. <laughs> and, and, you know, one of the things that we know about the brain, and I think this is what's so amazing, is that the brain is plastic. So even if you think that you're a person that does get impatient, well, we know that you can actually train your brain to be able to overcome that. You can train your brain to be more more patient. You can train your brain to, to actually be kinder. You can train your brain to be more calm. You can train your brain to be more focused. And, and so for me, it's really just trying to notice, ha, ah, that's really interesting. I have this pattern. I'd really like to try to work on overcoming that. And so using, again, the tools of mindfulness to be able to really rewire, reprogram some of those aspects of how you think and how your brain works that aren't necessarily helping you achieve success, whatever that means for you in your daily life. 
Mm-hmm. I love that. And and so we're talking, I mean, anyone listening can see what a difference or hear what a difference this would make in, in probably their very own lives and how much less stress you might feel in your life if you um, adapt these practices. And uh, talk to us a little bit about actual productivity. If somebody just, you know, their main goal here is, you know, I just want to get more in a day. I just want to be more productive. Um, how does a mindfulness practice help there? Absolutely. Well, the first thing I think in terms of productivity is just recognizing that oftentimes, and the studies back this up, is that oftentimes, and again, especially as we get busy, we end up doing a lot of things, but not necessarily the right things. And worse than that, and you mentioned this in your introduction, worse than that, if we've got a lot going on, which for most of us is is characteristic of most work environments today, is that what we try to do is we try to do more than one thing at a time. Like it's like, okay, I've got to answer this email, but I've got to be on this conference call. Wouldn't it be great if I could just get both done at the same time? The problem with that, though, is that the way, again, going back to the way the mind works, we know that basically when we try to do that, we're multitasking. And we're really not fully present for the conference call and really actually not doing a great job on the email either. So we either make mistakes on the email or we have one of those moments where somebody says, um, you know, Jacqueline, can you answer that question? You have to say something like, oh, I think the, the phone must have broke out or uh-huh. something if you weren't there, right? <laughs> so this idea of really looking at your day and challenging yourself on how well are you paying attention to the things that you need to do and maintaining focus without that temptation to multitask. And that's really, it's simple to say, but if you really look at your day, it's just amazing. And this is, again, people in the program really starting to notice how often their minds are trying to do more than one thing at a time. And that, if you can avoid even, if you can minimize that even just 5%, of an improvement on reducing the amount of time that you try to multitask, you can really gain a lot of efficiency. The other thing that we know, a simple tool, a simple tip, is that we know that every time we get distracted, it takes us, it can be up to, from seconds up to minutes to get back to whatever it is that we were doing. So let's take the case, you know, if there's a big report that I need to write, and I allow myself to continually get distracted by email pop-ups, Every time that email pops up, even if I'm not going to answer it, but it pops up and I go, oh, you know, Marla's sending me an email. Oh, I wonder what Marla's doing. <laughs> My mind has to then take seconds or minutes to go back to the report. So I'm just wasting my time because I'm not efficiently reading my report. So a simple tool is, you know, turn off those notifications. When you want to check your email, there's a really, you know, you can, you can actually hit that X button when you have to do something that's focused activity. When you have time and you really want to build in time during day, this is my email time, then actually focus on that. So just simple mm-hmm. tools like that. Yeah, and some people, um, when I teach this, they, there's a lot of resistance that comes with it, a, a fear of, of missing out on something. and. Oh. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Fear of missing out, yes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so you really have to work with that and understand, you know, I like to tell people to block time out in their day for certain things and that actually your your customer service and your response time is going to be much, much better and, and more effective and consistent if you actually block out time to look at that yeah. email and to return those calls and not answer the phone. Well, mm-hmm. exactly. And one of the key things that we really encourage people to do is don't try to change everything all at once. Take mm-hmm. one thing, and that's why the way that the book yeah. is designed, it's in very bite-sized pieces. So it's You know, here's a tip, here's a technique, and the idea is just try one thing each week, 
Right. And then, you know, see how that works for you. So if, you know, just let's say tomorrow, let's say you're going to say, okay, tomorrow, I'm just going to, I'm curious if I just allowed myself to have one hour of an uninterrupted time to actually move some of those big rocks that are really important to me, I'm going to turn off my phone, as scary as that might sound to some people I know, I'm going to turn off my phone, I'm going to turn off my computer, I'm actually going to, you know, lock myself in a meeting room if I need to, if I don't have a, a, a office where I can do that, and see what that does to your productivity. And then, you know, just start with that and then build on that and other tools yeah. techniques. But I think yeah. a key thing, exactly as you say, is that, and that's one of the things why we look at this being so beneficial, not just for individuals, but ideally, you know, really to get your colleagues on board. And that's why our work is with organizations. Because oh. if I am locked up in a room, you might think I'm just not a team player. But if I say, hey... You know, I've heard that it's uh, We're going to go, excuse me, we're going to go into okay. a break, Jacqueline, but I love this topic. We're going to come right back to it. All right, sounds, sounds great. Unlocking the secrets in you to create a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marlon Tabaka. And we'll be right back after these. If you could live your life truly standing in a place of peace, joy, and abundance, wouldn't that make your heart soar? Now you can with Lessons in Joyful Living with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi. Mondays at noon central, Kimberly Rinaldi. Having created a highly successful coaching practice, now teaches lessons in joyful living. She believes in empowering others and that through it, you have the ability to break through any and all barriers, thus allowing you to reach your greatest potential and joyfully step into your life's purpose. What used to take weeks, months, or even years, she can now teach you in a matter of hours with her programs. For more on Kim and her show, go to her website, KimberlyRinaldi.com. That's R-I-N-A-L-D-I dot com. Then join us for Lessons in Joyful Living with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi. Hey, my horoscope in the coffee news says I'm going to make a big change in my life. Wow, I love the ads in the coffee news and trying to find company to win prizes. Yeah, and the fun facts and trivia are killer, too. Hey, maybe we should advertise our business in there. I hear it's very inexpensive and everybody I know reads it. Awesome idea. Let's call 903-283-0203. Or go to coffeenewstyler.com and get her done. What's that number again? It's 903-283-0203. Coffeenewstyler.com. Welcome back to the Million Dollar Mindset. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it all starts with attitude, and Marla is here to help. It's the Million Dollar Mindset on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Marla Tabaka. Well, I am so glad that you turned into the show today, and I hope you'll also visit me over at Inc. Magazine Online. That's Inc.com, and you can just search for me, Marla Tabaka, and you'll find about, oh, I don't know, five, six, seven years I've lost track where the weekly article's up there. So lots of good stuff for you to tune into, and, um, and of course, all the shows here on, on TogiNet as well as Big Pitch Radio, BigPitchRadio.com. Check us out over there, and we're here with uh, Jacqueline 
Carter. And uh, I'm just loving this this conversation, Jacqueline. And when we went into break, you were talking about getting others on board. And, and I can imagine that sometimes, especially in the larger corporations you work with, um, that, it's, that it's difficult for the people that you're working directly with to, to get their teams on board or to get other management or, or whoever is not a part of the program you're, you're facilitating on board. Talk to us about uh, how to make that a little more um, uh, pleasant. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, and typically what we do is we actually do work with uh, with groups and uh, mm-hmm. we'll always work with leaders and get leadership on board because otherwise it, it is challenging. But, I mean, the idea being is that if you just on your own, let's say if you recognize, you know, I really want to pay attention in this meeting, I'm not going to allow myself to be distracted, but you're the only one. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. lonely. <laughs> you know, yeah. You're sitting there and you're seeing other people and you're distracted when, when they're checking their text messages or when they're not paying attention. And so one of the things we talk to organizations about, and that's why, as I said earlier, it's so important to look at what are the objectives of the organizations. But one of the main things is, you know, let's just take a really simple example of meetings. Most organizations, especially as people rise up at the ranks, they say they spend way too much time in meetings. And when we ask them, well, how effective do you think your meetings are? The answers are not good, Marla. <laughs> mm. You know, they most say that they're they're largely not a good use of their time, and a lot of it, and you know, it could be those basic, you know, you know, meetings dot one hundred and one, which is you know, have an agenda and all those great things. But one of the main challenges with meetings today is people simply are having trouble paying attention because there's so many things else that's going on. Or one of the classic things is. A lot of leaders today, they'll have meetings back to back to back, and no matter how smart you are, if you've just come from one meeting and you basically maybe had time to go to the bathroom before you jump into your next meeting, your mind is probably still on the last one, and it's going to take you time to really be able to reorient yourself to whatever it is you're actually supposed to be doing in this meeting. So a simple thing is we talk to organizations about, okay, let's if we all want to make sure we're making the best use of our time when we're together, because obviously that's what meetings are for, to be able to help us, whatever it is that we need to achieve as a group, we actually do simple things. Like what if we all took one minute at the start of the meeting to let us let go of wherever we were and just have a moment to reduce a little bit of the clutter, be a little bit more focused, a little bit more calm, so that we can actually be more present with each other for the meeting at hand. And we don't even have to call it mindfulness training, but it can be you know just focusing on your breath, just to, you know, let go of the thoughts. Um, but ideally, if we all do that together, and then, and then the invitation is now see what is your experience like. And most people find that it's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I work with um, much smaller companies than you do, and um, I'm thrilled to see that those practices are also being introduced into small business and that so many of the entrepreneurs who come to me for consulting are already um, starting their, their daily morning meetings with a meditation or with uh, gratitude. Let's go around the table and everybody tell us something that you're incredibly grateful for today. And uh, it, it's just I see, you know, where people see so much negativity in the world, I also see amazing things happening in the world, too. Absolutely. Yeah. So I always love to ask in, in cases like yours where you've had, I mean, my goodness, the experience that you have had and, and the groups that you've worked with, it's so incredibly impressive, Jacqueline. Can you cite, you know, tell us a story or even two of like your greatest successes, the things that just made your heart swell when, when you saw something turn around? 
Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I would love, there's many, many stories that I can tell, certainly in terms of aha moments uh, yeah. from a business perspective. And maybe I'll, I'll, I'll do one. One of those, we actually worked, uh, we worked with one of our clients, we worked with, uh, with Google, actually. And, um, and it was really interesting, one of the conversations that came up around emails and when, when should people be checking emails and what was, what was acceptable. And one of the things that was so interesting is through the discussion, it was very clear that the employees in the group and the leader was in the room. The employees in the group felt that even though the leader was saying, I don't want you checking emails when you're on vacation, mm-hmm. the employees didn't, didn't believe it because right. they really felt, again, this is Google. They felt like they always had to be on. And it was just so powerful, I think, just the opportunity to discuss cultural norms around email behaviors. And we all take email for granted. But email has slipped into our culture like many of our other technologies without us really being articulate about when should it be on, when should it be off, how can we use it to be able to be the best of ourselves without actually it detracting us and taking us away. And so it was really amazing to be able to see this, this, this conversation happen and then people actually realize that, you know what, it is okay to be off email and especially when you're on vacation and also maybe on the weekends because, again, we know not only from a human perspective that's nicer and allows people to have more space, but actually from a business perspective it gives people more creativity when they're, you know, when they are, when they are rejuvenated and when they have that rest and relaxation when they're off. When they come back, they can be more on. So certainly I could have a million stories from a business perspective, but I think the stories that I always tell when people ask me that question are our programs are are very much work-based. But I haven't had a a workshop or a program where at some point somebody hasn't said, you know what, Jacqueline, my wife says I'm nicer to be around and she wants to meet you. (laughs) She thinks it's directly related to you. She wants to take you out to dinner. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Because, you know, I think the main thing is that although, you know, we're really talking about mindfulness tools and techniques for the workplace, the cool thing is, of course, you get to take that same mind that's more calm, more focused, more clear, you get to take that home with you. And so then you can be more present with your spouse or with your kids or with anything that you want to do in life. Mm-hmm. So in my introduction, um, I talked about the one minute. And I know you've, yeah. you've covered a couple of ideas for folks. What, what specifically does that one minute refer to? Yeah, so, oh, so you mean the one second? The one no, second I'm ahead. sorry, one second, yes. No, that's okay. Um, basically, the one second ahead is based on a story with one of our clients, a um, partner in a financial services company, very, very, very busy guy, probably can relate to a lot of people, a lot of your listeners today, that uh, just felt like he was always on. He was always plugged in, and he was always responding to everything in his life um, that was really taking him away and really dictating. So whether it was his emails coming in or his boss coming in or his employees coming in or his clients coming in and he'd go home and whether it be his wife or his kids or his dog, just he actually started to feel like he really wasn't in full control of his life because it was all of these external stimuli that was driving what he did next. And so he contacted us and he said, can you help? And uh, we said, sure, we'd give it a try. And we walked him through what is our standard program, which basically looks like one hour each week for 10 weeks of a workshop. And in his case, it wasn't a workshop because it was just a one-on-one session, but a a sit-down and a discussion around the mindfulness training itself, how to apply it to daily work life, and also things that we call mental strategies. And in addition to that, 10 minutes of daily training each day. And at the end of the program, we asked him, his name was Jacob, and we said, Jacob, you know, what did you get out of the program? Because you came with all these challenges, what did you get? And his answer was really quite interesting. He said, I got one second. 
And at first we kind of thought, okay, this is a, this is a finance guy, and he invested all of this time, and he only got one second. So it didn't sound like a very good return on his investment. But what he said was really quite inspiring. He said, I got one second of mental freedom in each and every moment to choose how I would respond to the stimuli that were coming into my life, as opposed to simply reacting. So when a text message came in, instead of just going on autopilot and picking up my phone and thinking I had to respond, I would choose maybe to check it or maybe not to, maybe to stay present with the employee that was standing in front of me. And just continually finding he was just more calm, he was able to really have that greater responsiveness to all of the challenges that we all face in life, as opposed to being on habitual patterns and reactivity. So that's where the, the story What a great story. What a great story. That's a powerful one second in yeah, selecting exactly. the healthier choice. Yeah, 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 definitely. Do you do you speak about or teach about um, choosing from intuition rather than assessing a situation, you know, in the mind? Uh, yes. I mean, we, one of the things that specifically comes up, we have a whole um, series of topics that are related to looking at creativity in particular. And one of the things that we know is that creativity actually doesn't come from our conscious rational thought. I mean, if we could solve the problem through conscious rational thinking, then we're we already know the answer. So what we really want to tap into in terms of more creativity or more expansive thinking, it's really knowing what we don't know consciously. And so one of the key things is there's specific forms of the mindfulness training which can actually help you open up, open up to that possibility and whether you call it intuition or really tapping into that greater awareness that we all have, which is actually through our subconscious. Um, and it's really powerful. And then, and then I think maybe where you're going with it, and actually allowing yourself to trust that that intuition because it is knowledge. One of the things we talk a lot about in our programs is we how the uh, the greater awareness that we have through our subconscious versus the very small fraction of what we're consciously processing. And so, opening our minds up to be able to trust more of that that larger, greater awareness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and I think that that is something that. Um, uh, people find very difficult to achieve, and yet it's so simple. And you know, it's just, yeah. And so for for me, when when I get an intuitive hit, I generally feel it in the gut area, and I just know. And I don't try and dissect it, or you know, think about it, or process it. I just do, and it works out so much better than when I get my brain in the way. <laughs> Exactly. Well, exactly. And I mean, you know, a really simple one, like in just in terms of basic communication, like we know that we as human beings are so good at reading each other. I mean, we, you know, and it's nothing to do with what we're saying to each other. It's actually how we feel because, you know, verbal skills from a human evolutionary perspective came much later than being able to read. Are you a friend or a foe? And are you nervous? Because if you're nervous, you're going to make me nervous and all of these cues. And I think exactly our brains have gotten in the way of just our simple ability to really understand and relate to another human being. And if we can tap into that, it's like when an employee comes in your office, you know, take a moment, really be aware of that person. Are they okay? You know, do they really need your attention right now? And maybe what they're saying is not what they really need to say to you. Maybe you need to say to them, are you okay? Yeah. Yeah, because people rarely, when when they're not okay, they rarely say what they they need to say. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or, or even just you know, or even just other aspects. Or you know, a great example too is just really being able to tune into your customers and really yeah. being present with them, because we just have we have so much more knowledge. But as you said, sometimes our thinking brains it's like. 
you know, but this is what I want to say, as opposed to really listening to to what what can what what actually what's the greater possibility of what what's actually the interaction and what's the potential in that interaction right now. Yeah, and we are going into our final break of the show already. And if you'd like to learn more about the Potential Project and Jacqueline and her co-authors, you can go to PotentialProject.com, PotentialProject.com. We're going to come back in just a couple of minutes. Unlocking the secrets in you to create a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marlon Tabaka. And we'll be right back after these. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. I don't know about you, but I love peanut butter. Peanut butter was a pate of my childhood. Whenever I was grubstruck and needed to eat on the scattery or in a hurry, there was nothing better than a peanut butter sandwich. Grubstruck is another word for exhausted from hunger. November is National Peanut Butter Month, and it's no wonder we celebrate as Americans consume enough peanut butter in a year to create over 10 billion peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Any product labeled peanut butter in the U.S. must contain no less than 90% peanuts, and it takes about 550 peanuts to make one 12-ounce jar of peanut butter. What's a word for the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth? Iraqi beautyophobia. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to the Million Dollar Mindset. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it all starts with attitude, and Marla is here to help. It's the Million Dollar Mindset on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Marla Tabaka. And I hope that you'll visit me over on my website at marlatabaka.com. And to learn more about our guest, Jacqueline Carter, and her project, you can go to potentialproject.com. And uh, Jacqueline is the co-author of One Second Ahead, Enhance Your Performance at Work with Mindfulness. Love it, love it, love it. Jacqueline, there are so many barriers out there to, um, to mindfulness 
because I think, I feel like the word still has a stigma. And the people who need it the most, who could benefit the most um, from adapting even just some small mindfulness type of um, practices um, are the ones who are out there really, really kicking back about it. (laughs) Talk to me about what you see as those common barriers to mindfulness. Yeah, well, I think absolutely, I would say there are three barriers that I see, and I think the first one is absolutely the one that you articulate. There's still a stigma that's attached to it. And uh, so one of the things, just to tell you an interesting story, this is actually from from one of my colleagues, and uh, he said he was talking to an executive, and the executive said, look, I know what you do, and I don't want to do any of that mindfulness stuff. And so my (laughs) colleague said, okay, but would you like me to help you train to focus your attention? Yes, I'll sign up for that. Mm. (laughs) So I think that there's an element of, first of all, make sure that we don't get caught up in our own language of words that mean something to us. What language is going to mean something to those people? And so I think in our experience, again, if you talk about, you know, is focus, is, is, you know, is being present with people, is being calm, is, being, is reducing some of your mental clutter, would that be ben- beneficial to you? Then let me, let me have, I have some tools and techniques that might be helpful. So I think that's the first one is overcoming that flakiness. The other aspect is, is really making it in terms of business objectives. So again, you know, if you want to be able to enhance performance or creativity, would having people be more attentive, um, would that be helpful to you? So really looking at the language and, and overcoming to overcome that flakiness aspect of it. The secondary, when you can overcome that, you say, okay, people say, okay, I'm willing to give this a try. Um, but the next barrier is just people not having enough time. I mean, there's yeah. so many things that, yeah, you know, I know I should eat better or I know I should exercise more, but I don't have the time. So I think the other key thing is looking at ways, so our program, we introduce it just 10 minutes a day. We try to make it so simple, so easy. You know, if you ideally, you know, you could get up 10 minutes earlier, and it's, our training is based on really a very simple methodology designed to be simple because people have enough complexity in their life. It's A, B, C, D. That's all you have to remember, A, B, C, D. And uh, so the other aspect of, of the time is that, we find that if you can do it with other people, and that's why, again, our programs are designed when we go into organizations, if everybody in your team decides to do it together, then it's actually a group activity to be able to enhance your collective performance also makes it easier and limits the barrier of that time barrier. The third thing that we find is that people, you know, sustaining a a behavioral change and making it actually something that you continue to do over time And for us, that's why we really look at how do you embed it. So it's not just about going to the mental gym, the 10 minutes of daily mindfulness training, but how do you actually embed it into everything that you do? So that's why, as I already said, you know, embedding it into your meetings, embedding it into the way you do emails, or embedding it into the way you go to sleep at night so you get better sleep quality. So we really look at if you can make it part of, it's not just a bolt-on, oh, yeah, something else I have to do, but if you can actually make it part of everything you're already doing anyway, but you just do it mindfully, then it becomes easier and easier and easier. It really does. And it, and it is, um, you know, I, I always like to stress because people tend to beat themselves up. I can't get it. I can't stick with it. I, I forget to do this and I forget to do that, um, that we all 
fall off the wagon. I mean, (laughs) you're not, you're not going to meditate for an hour a day, seven days a week. And most likely, you know, and most people don't, maybe for a while you will, and then you'll fall off and, and you'll see the change and you know that your life isn't as, as subtle and, and free flowing as it is when you, when you are doing those things. But like exercise, you, it, it, it takes some, um, discipline to stick with. It really does. It really does, and I think that's why what we see as being so powerful is if you can, because we are social beings, you know, it's a lot easier, you know, you and I, we're friends, and we say, hey, let's let's support each other in this. Mm -hmm. We're far more likely to do it, and that's why if we can create uh, in part of the culture, embedded in part of the culture of an organization, it's just... It's just, people are more likely to do it, and lo and behold, it has business benefits. So there's good reason to do it, mm-hmm. not only good for individuals, but good for the business. Yeah, it truly is. It is. And and you're right, embedding the process and even in your social circle, um, you know, I have friends who we all know, those of us who meditate, all know the power of meditating in groups. Exactly. and. You know, so we do that. We we meet once a week and and uh, just three, four, five of us meditate together, and it's an incredible, incredible experience every week. Yeah, that's great. Exactly, and that I find, of course, I find the same thing. And and I think that's also a way to keep it fresh, as you say. You know, to you know, it, you know, like anything, things can you know get seem like they're we're not improving as much, or uh, we need to inspire ourselves. And that's why I think one of the things that we look at with our with our clients is you know continuing there's all kinds of i mean especially the the research that's coming out from a scientific perspective that's another thing that that we find and i find it's motivating you know when i read the latest research study on how mindfulness actually helps um you know leaders make more ethical decisions it's like wow that's cool i'm gonna go sit and practice or Mm -hmm. you know can make people more compassionate i mean they've actually linked training the mind to enhancing the part of the brain that they understand is responsible for compassion as you know events over the weekend suggest the world definitely needs more compassion so i think that i using the science to be able to inspire us can be a really powerful tool as well yeah, most certainly. And and you've brought up so many different aspects of mindfulness. And I think that's a really important message that, that it is more than meditating or being present in the moment. I mean, that's the crux of it, being present in the moment. But there are more ways that you can practice mindfulness than than. Um, you know what we most commonly preach and it it can it can fall into the workplace the personal place everywhere with your family with your children i mean just teaching your children to stop and appreciate things and express it yeah Yeah, exactly exactly yeah it's wonderful so we've we've touched on the topic of meditation and i'd like to go back to that a little bit um if if you're willing because that's that's something that scares people who don't meditate Um, the thought of meditation. And I always like to go into all the simple methods that you can actually get get yourself into that practice. Why don't you go over um, the things that you teach, or at least a couple or a few of them? Yeah, well, one of the things is we definitely try to try to make it very simple and easy. As I said, our approach is A, B, C, D. And the simple steps, one of the things, too, is that if people are uncomfortable sitting for 10 minutes, you you mentioned an hour, we would never go there for beginners because that's way too long. So, you know, if people are uncomfortable sitting still, which many people in the workplace uh, or let alone in daily life, many people, you know, the idea of stillness is, is scary to them. Um, so we'll even say, you know, let's start with five minutes. And if five minutes sounds too long, we'll start with two minutes. And if two minutes sounds too long, we'll send for one. 
And basically the instructions that we give, again, keeping it very simple, is the A stands for anatomy, so just tuning into your body and essentially really allowing yourself to be able to relax in this moment. Very simple, so alert but relaxed. The B is the anchor, the, the breath, which is basically just focusing on your breath and making it the anchor of your attention because you're in the gym, training the attentional muscle, focusing on the breath, going in and out. The C is for counting. You just simply count your breaths, one to ten, and ten back down to one, and it's really just a way to make sure that you're still paying attention. Mm-hmm. And the B, and this is an important part of the instructions for us, is the B is for distractions, and basically anything that isn't the breath is a distraction. And the key thing is that whenever you find you're distracted, that's actually a moment to celebrate because that means you're aware that you're no longer focusing yes. on the breath. And every time you're aware that you're no longer focused on your breath and you bring yourself back by choice to the object of your choice, which in this case is the breath, then you're actually building that attentional muscle. So that's really, you know, we try to keep it so simple. And again, you could do it just for one minute and just see what your experience is like. And for us, I think for people who are a little bit nervous about it, we say, you know, what was the experience like? And people will often say, you know, I feel calmer. You know, I feel, you know, a little bit more focused. It didn't hurt as much as I thought it would, you know, whatever it is. I love that. I love that. And um, I love the the way you said a moment for celebration when you when you realize you're distracted because there's so much self-criticism that can go into um, developing this practice. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, we don't need that. You know, we yeah. already have enough things in life that we beat ourselves up for this. And one of the things that we emphasize is we call it mindfulness practice, not mindfulness perfect. Right. So it's not about, you know, it's, it's actually the, you know, give yourself the gift of 10 minutes a day where you don't have to be perfect, where you just allow yourself to just be and, uh, and enjoy it. And that's one of the key things that we emphasize is that uh, we really want people to enjoy just a little bit of stillness, a little bit of mental peace just sprinkled into your day. Oh, well, I was going to ask you what you'd like to sum up and leave our audience with as a message, but I think that's pretty strong right there. What do you think? Well, absolutely. I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity and just uh, really encourage people if they're interested. You know, of course, we love our practice and our approach to mindfulness, but there's so many wonderful resources out there, and and we just believe so strongly that can make such a big difference in people's lives and, and just really hope that people follow up and give it a try. And don't be afraid of it. It doesn't hurt that much. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right. You're so right. So Jacqueline Carter, thank you so much for being here on the Million Dollar Mindset. And you can find out more about Jacqueline and, and uh, the project at, uh, at potentialproject.com. And I know that your book, Jacqueline, is probably available just about any and everywhere. So I would encourage folks to go out that out there and, and pick up a copy of One Second Ahead, Enhance Your Performance at Work with Mindfulness. And I can pretty much guarantee that it's not restricted to at work that the things that you learn in the book are going to certainly enhance your 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 life and uh sense of self um absolutely
And for you listeners out there, thanks so much for being here. And I hope that you uh, will visit me over at Inc.com. Just search for Marla Tabaka and, of course, my website and social media and anywhere else. I'm Marla Tabaka. So it'll be easy to find me. And I look forward to seeing you all here on The Million Dollar Mindset in the near future. Don't forget to check us out at Big Pitch Radio. Thank you for being a part of the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka from Toginet. If you've always known there was more out there for you, but you just weren't sure how to get there, and 